0: Safety, dependability, and power. Chevy Silverado isn't happy unless the work is hard and the day is long. No wonder Silverado is America's number one best-selling retail pickup truck. Go to ChevyDriveChicago.com and put a Silverado in your toolbox. In the 30s, there are three teams that dominated the league. New York Giants, Green Bay Packers, and the Bears. And nobody could come
1: close to us. It's the WGN Radio Football Podcast.
0: Who knows, maybe we come out running like wing T or
2: something. Right on cue, Justin Fields to the end zone. With your host. The one and only. Kevin Powell. We're rolling and it's go time. Let's talk football. All right, another packed podcast episode 19 of the WGN Radio Football Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. I am Kevin Powell. And just as I finished up editing this podcast, it was all good to go. Ready to send in to the producer. Get posted. Major breaking Bears news. Khalil Mack done for the year with season-ending foot surgery. That uh, injury had kept him out of the last two games heading into the bye. And uh, obviously a major blow to this Bears defense. But it explains why the Bears uh, went out and signed 34-year-old Bruce Irvin to add some depth. But Man, that's rough for the Bears, who have a matchup with the Ravens and Lamar Jackson coming on Sunday. Do talk more about the Bears-Ravens matchup with Matt Verderam from Fansided. I also talk with Michael O'Brien from the Chicago Sun-Times previewing the semifinals of the IHSA State Football Playoffs. And I figured with Thanksgiving around the corner, people are tailgating this time of year. I'd, uh, I'd talk with Dr. Barbecue, Ray Lampy. He's a big Bears fan. He's from Chicago. And if you're into barbecue and whole cooking world and all that, you probably recognize that name. But I figured I'd mix it up a little bit. Talk some turkey. Talk some tailgating. Talk some football with Ray Lampy. But let's start with my conversation with Matt Verderam from Fansided. All right, the Bears' upcoming opponent, the Baltimore Ravens, are coming off a loss to Miami. The Dolphins' defense did a really good job slowing down Lamar Jackson, an MVP candidate. Uh, Did you watch the entire game, Matt? What can you tell us about this Ravens team?
0: Yeah, unfortunately I watched the whole game.
2: Um, (laughs) I had no choice uh, for my employment. But you
0: know what? It was a game where Miami basically said, we're going to bring six or seven guys on every down certainly every passing down, and you're going to have to go ahead and beat us. Now, Miami has some really good corners. They've got Howard, Byron Jones. They can do that more than some other teams can, and they can play cover zero and not worry about getting beat over the top. My bigger, intriguing point out of that was it kept Jackson from being able to run because they really, if you watch them, they didn't overload blitz. They didn't force him to one side. They just kind of evenly blitzed the line. And tried to close in from the corners, and they're really successful at it. And so, I'm curious to see this week: you know, do the Bears believe enough in their corners to do it? You know, Jalen Johnson's been really, really good this year. Do they believe in the other guys enough to say, you know what, we can play that same way? We're gonna we're gonna get up on the line, and we're gonna show an all-out blitz. We're not gonna let Jackson out of the pocket. You know, it's, it's dangerous because it's the kind of defense where you can get some huge plays out of it. You can also miss a tackle and give up a 75-yard touchdown. I mean, that's that's the risk you run. So, uh, you know, certainly Baltimore, I'm sure, went to school for the last 10 days on how to beat that type of defense. But I think if you're the Bears, you make them prove that they can beat it.
2: Yeah. Now, Jackson had missed two practices this week with a non-COVID-related illness, but he was back working out Friday, so expect him to be playing Sunday. Jackson was held to nine carries, just 39 yards, 26-43, 238 yards, touchdown, interception. He was sacked four times in that game as well. Not easy to sack Lamar Jackson.
0: No. And, and again, I think a big part of that was the way they blitzed. He really had no escape route. You know, if he had to hold the ball at all, it was over. And this is a real deal Baltimore. I think when you think about the Ravens, the last couple of years, you think about this team that they're an amazing running team. They don't really throw the ball. They're this really good defense. They bring a ton of pressure. They, they blitz more than anybody. I mean, those things have been true of the Lamar Jackson era. They're not really true this year. I mean, they, they still do run the ball, but they're not nearly as effective as they've been in the past. Now, Jackson's going to rush for over 1,000 yards again, unless you he he's having another you know, year where – His legs are easily their biggest weapon. But they've thrown the ball more this season. I mean, you know, Marquise Brown is over 700 yards this season. Mark Andrews is about 650. Now, nobody else was 300. So it's those two guys. Rashad Bateman has played and played pretty well here, coming off injury. He's only played four games this year, but he's on about a 1,000-yard pace. So they've thrown the ball a lot more and better, although in recent weeks that's slowed. You know, Jackson in the last four weeks has only had six touchdowns to five picks. He struggled. He's averaging uh, about 200 yards a game. It's not been prolific as it was earlier in the year when he really was on quite a clip. Uh, so, I think for Chicago, you know, this is a game where, offensively, I think the Bears actually are going to have success in this game. They, they should. Baltimore is one of the worst three or four defenses in football. Um, but can they stop Jackson? That's always the question when you face Baltimore in that offense.
2: For Bears fans, they've been, I don't know if I want to say giddy, but they are on a four-game losing streak. But I don't know if a a fan base has ever felt better after a four-game losing streak, and that's because of Justin Fields. We talked about Fields last time you were on. Uh, His past two games have been, you've seen development, right? And that's what you want to see in a rookie quarterback is him getting better. In the past two games, the, the clear... You know, weakest link on this offense was the passing game. They were dead last in just about every passing category, and the past two weeks, you've seen clear development from Justin Fields in the offense. Um, so that has led to fans being like, okay, they've lost four straight, but Justin Fields is starting to look like the guy that we've needed here in Chicago forever. What do you make of Fields' Are we hyping it a little bit too much from the national perspective? What did you see in Fields in that Steelers game? He had some crazy impressive throws uh, against Pittsburgh. They did end up losing, but he put him in a position to win that game. Uh, Your thoughts on Fields and where the Bears' offense has been over their past couple games?
0: Yeah, I think you said it right, Kevin. I mean, early in the year, my God, they they couldn't throw the ball for 200 yards in a game. I mean, it felt impossible. Um, And and let's be real about it. Fields struggled. Uh, You know, there were a lot lot more picks and touchdowns. You watched the game. Not all about his fault. You know, some of that was the offensive line, some of that was the line of weaponry, some of that coaching. But he really did struggle against Pittsburgh. Easily, to me, his best game of the year. Easily, he he looked like a top ten level quarterback. You know, making throws on the run, making throws in a tight window, getting the ball down the field. You know, that's for me in today's NFL. I don't care what your completion percentage is. In turn, I mean, I care that it's it's above you know sixty, but it. People go so crazy over, well, Mac Jones is completing 70% of his passes. Well, he better be. Every throw he makes, is six yards down the field. (laughs) I mean, who cares? I don't care. To me, I'm far more impressed by a guy who completes 64%, 65% of his passes, but he's throwing the ball down the field. They're getting chunk plays. There's a lot of nuance and context that goes into that stuff that you just don't see in a box score. I thought Fields against Pittsburgh, listen, they got robbed in that game. They should have won that game. Mm. And that was a performance that if he plays like that, the Steelers are not a very good team offensively. They're a very good defensive team. And he really, he was very impressive. If he plays like that against Baltimore, they're going to have a very good shot to win the game. Baltimore, other than the Jets, is the worst defense in the league yards per play against. They are dead last in, in passing yards allowed per game. That is a bad defense. It's a defense that goes up a lot of big plays. It's a defense that does not get many stops. Um, you know, they, they consistently get beat. The question of this game for me is: A. Allen Robinson is going to play. You have you have Darnell Mooney, who I think is, is primed for a big game. Cole Komet, What does he do? You know, do, they're going to need to air the ball out a little bit in this one. And after watching the way Fields played against Pittsburgh, I think it's possible.
2: Yeah, and that's one of the reasons, too, I think fans are, are giddy about Justin Fields. He's fearless. He loves to throw the ball down the field. He makes throws down the field. You're talking about those chunk plays. He had them in Pittsburgh. He had a lot of them. And more. he had more in that Pittsburgh game it feels like we had seen in Chicago over the past three, four years. And I'm not kidding. That's how bad it's been. Um, where he is fearless. He is willing to air out the ball. And I think that's, that's... I'm actually picking the Bears to win. I think it'll be close. But if they can, to your point, don't get crushed by Lamar Jackson. And this defense has been prone, the Bears' defense, to two allowing big chunk plays. We saw it on that last drive uh, for the Steelers. Let, let's just have some fun with this. It's still an extremely small sample size. We're only about halfway through, well, a little more than halfway through the regular season now. But you cover the NFL, the draft, all of that. If you were to redraft the quarterbacks in the first round of this year, how, how do you think it would have played out?
0: Well, I still am of the belief, if I had the first pick, it's <laughs> hard to say it's when you saw more picks and touches, I, I would – I would take Trevor Lawrence first, still. And he's not been good this year. He's not been good. But that team is a disaster. Mm-hmm. Like, I, you know, so much of quarterback play goes into your situation. Like, if Mac Jones was in Jacksonville, I can't express what a disaster that would be. But he's not in Jacksonville. He's got Bill Belichick. So, you know, and that's part of the deal. That's the way it works. I still think Trevor Lawrence is going to have a really great career. I just think he's got to get the heck away from Urban Meyer. Um, after that, I think you, you know, I, I would take Jones. I've got to be – fair. I mean, he's, he's played very really well. Then I would go with Fields. Then I would go with Lance. And then I'd go with Wilson. I, I do not think Jack Wilson's good. I just – I didn't think Jack Wilson was good coming out of college. I know I talked to scouts around the league who – listen, certainly had nice things to say, but there's a, a very big sentiment around the NFL of he had one good year at BYU – He had really good players all around him, including a great offensive line, a really good running game. Like, how is this thing going to play out if he goes to a team that's not good? And, of course, the Jets obviously are the epitome of not being good. So, yeah, I think, look, Fields Fields might move up, though. Like, if if Fields, to me, what if they got a really, really good offensive mind in Chicago and they gave him another weapon or two? Like, I could see Fields being the best guy out of this class Mm -hmm. in three years, but... But right now, I still think Lawrence, the talent, the talent's so obvious. I just worry that Jacksonville's going to break that kid before he has a chance to figure it out.
2: It, it is interesting, and I think it's because he's in Jacksonville and he 's not in Chicago or you know he's with the Jets or the Giants or something like right. kind of feels like it, that that storyline has fallen under the radar a little bit again because it 's Jacksonville, and I know there was some urban Meyer drama, but man, if Trevor Lawrence was in a different market, I think he's getting he's taking a beating beating from a fan base, and i don 't know what exactly what it's like with the Jaguars fans right now, but Yeah, I'm. I'm interested to see how that plays out. I I hope they don't break him. I think he's got all the talent, as you said, and and a legit player as well. Um, Best team in the NFL right now? Who you got? (laughs) Got a dartboard? Um, (laughs) That's what makes it fun, right?
0: It really. I agree. It is. It's. It's to me. You know, I've covered the NFL now on a national, full time level for six years, seven, yeah, six years. And this is of all those years, this is the most wide open. I can ever remember it being, you know, normally you get to this point and you go, okay, you know, it's two teams, three teams. They're the best. Or maybe you even have a year. We go, that team is the team. You know, New England, some of those years, you go, know, okay, they're the best team in football. You could make a real case right now for at least 10 teams winning the Super Bowl. Like maybe as you get toward the back end of that 10, it's a little bit more of a stress, but I think, I think you have to pick one of these teams in the NFC because the AFC is such a disaster. Um, I'd, I'd probably, I I know it's his enemy territory, I'd probably say the Packers only because defensively they've been lights out over the last month. They've been really, really good. And they don't even have, Alexander, they don't have Smith Alexander. Um, and the offense, you know, with Rodgers and Adams and Jones, they're going to be fine. That offense is always going to move the ball. I just think it's going to come down this year more than ever. And this always is a huge, huge factor, but who's healthy and who's hot. Like, that? it's just – you know, especially in the AFC, where you look at it and just go, "All right, you got Tennessee," but I don't, does anyone really believe? Like right now, Tennessee and Arizona have the two most impressive resumes in the NFL. I don't know of one person that covers the league that thinks that's going to be the Super Bowl. <laughs> right? I, I, I don't know anybody. I don't know one person that says, "Yeah, I think Ryan Tannehill is going to the Super Bowl." I, I don't. I don't think anyone believes that. You know, I think you know if Kansas City, who I cover closely and what you know from fan I think if they. If they play the way they played on Sunday night, I don't know that anybody's beating them in the AFC. Like, but they've been so inconsistent, it's hard to say. I think Buffalo is overall the most talented team, but they've had some mind-blowing losses. So I like the Packers by a smidge, but you, you could ask me on Monday and I'd give you a totally different answer.
2: Well, I think, well, you know, the Cowboys-Chiefs matchup Sunday at 325. I can't wait to see that one. I think that one will be, uh, I don't know if tellings. Well, I think we'll learn a lot in that game. For sure,
0: yeah it's it's a, it's going to be a game where you know I was just actually going off some stats, kind of getting ready for that game because I, I do the Arrowhead Attic podcast for us as well as the Chiefs, which I came up covering, and I think um, you know early in the year they were historically bad on defense, and that's not hyperbole. I mean they were like in four different categories at one point they were the worst in NFL history like four games of the year. Their last three games, their defense is giving up twenty one point two percent on third down. They've been they've been terrific in the red zone over the last five games at fifty percent. to put them like seven. And they're facing a Dallas team that obviously is loaded. I mean, between all the receivers they have, the, the two backs, Dalton Schultz a tight end is underrated. He's a really good player, and of course, Dak. That is going to be that's going to be a great game. Like if, if Dallas wins that game, I think any doubt about Dallas is completely erased. And if Kansas City wins that game, they're then seven and four. And you start looking at their schedule; they go to a bye and next week. They come out of that bye, they play nobody. I mean the only the only games that you'd say are even remotely difficult they are at Cincinnati and they're at the Chargers on a Thursday night. They got you know Denver twice, the Raiders at home, the Steelers at home. Um you still get to the Chiefs and going they, they they might they might go on quite a run. So huge game, really interesting, maybe a Super Bowl preview.
2: And you mentioned the uh weird the the Bears Steelers game and how and I've already covered this on the podcast, but I love to get your thoughts on it. I mean, they were—that was really, really, really bad officiating. This taunting rule is driving everybody yeah. insane. Um, they have their reasons, fine. I think what's frustrating to everybody is that it's not being called fairly. Where there are certain instances where you certainly could have thrown a flag that was similar to what Cassius Marsh did. There doesn't seem to be a, a clear definition of what exactly the rule is or how it'll be enforced. Um, your thoughts on the taunting rule and? It doesn't seem like they're backing away from this at all, but it's it's driving everybody nuts, and I, I really do not want it to play a major role in the playoffs. That would be disastrous.
0: It would be. I, I couldn't agree more. And, look, you know what? i am never one to bring up officiating as a reason for a team wins or loses a game. I mean, that's just so unbelievably blatant, like the Saints-Rams, in the asked about game a few years ago. Um, the Bears got robbed. I mean, the Bears... Forget even the taunting penalty. What about the penalty that took away a touchdown Mm -hmm. where it called for a 15-yard penalty for a low block. You didn't even touch him. I mean, that's a horrible call. And up to the point, gambling's been legalized now almost all over the country, certainly in most areas. And the NFL has gotten in bed with it. The NFL, I mean, hell, the Saints are, you know, the name of the stadium is after Caesars. Okay, like, The NFL cannot pretend like they're not in love with gambling at this point. They clearly are. I mean, you watch an NFL game, how many times do you see a gambling commercial? So I think the NFL's got to understand we're taking in all this gambling money. Fine, they should. I don't blame them. But with that comes the responsibility of, all right, we need to be making sure that we're getting every call right as much as humanly possible. Because, look, I'm not saying there's any nefarious events in Pittsburgh. But we saw that in the NBA. I mean, we saw that happen. Like, to think that that just can't happen in the NFL. And when you have these target penalties, huge penalties, 15 yards, a first down. You know, if there was ever an official who just decided, hey, look, I'd like to make some extra money on the side here. Like, that's an easy way to do it. That's a real easy way to do it. Those are so subjective that you you could easily throw a flag or two here or there. So I think the NFL should really go to a situation where they have a little bit of you know, a sky judge, so to speak. You get to look at these real time. You don't even have to go over to the monitor. Just Hey, oh, no, that's a bad call. We're getting rid of that. Uh, you have to have a little bit of a check and balance here. And, and I, you know, I get the people who say, well, replay, it know, already takes long enough. Let's be honest. If you're getting the call right, and it takes an extra two and a half minutes per game, who cares? And you're sitting through 17 football games. Everybody sits down and watches NFL from morning till night, anyway. Like if, if it's two extra minutes, I really think the NFL, for its own benefit, has to be very careful with this stuff because now more than ever, the incentive is there for hey, you know what? What's going on? You know, I could throw a flag. I could not. Or you've got you've got millions of people around the country who are betting on your game.
2: Right. That, that's, that's you should be. T-
0: you should be taking care of those people. Well, like, that, You can't. Yeah. You can't have being screwed over on stuff like that.
2: That's the angle I would go through. Like, yeah, sure, you could, you know, who, who knows what's – maybe there will be some scandals someday when it comes to that. But, like, now that more and more people are putting their money on the game – you can't have games coming down to these calls. You can't. You're just going to infuriate fan bases. I realize people are still going to be placing money on it. I don't think anybody's just going to be like, "I'm done betting" because of the taunting call. But still, like, if right. you're, if you are, as you put it, in bed with with these sports books and and the casinos and all of that, like, you can't have this poor of officiating, right? Like, this is people. We're talking money here. We know how people get when it comes to money, right? Like, you can't be messing around with horrible calls. And I, you know, I've I've gone on plenty of rants on this already, but like. The fact that – and I've heard some coaches sort of – even Matt Nagy was kind of defending. Mike Tomlin defended it. You know, it's like, well, the, the kids are watching. I'm like, come on. You really think you're going to lose youth participation because of taunting in the NFL? Like, are you kidding me? And you're setting some sort of bad precedent of all the things that might be wrong with the NFL? That's what you're worried about of all things is a little bit of celebrating or a little bit of taunting? Like, come on. Like, I don't know who why this was the direction they they, they decided to go with, but I didn't think – Matt, that taunting was a major reason there's youth participation in football is down. I don't think anybody's, you know, little Timmy's not getting signed up for youth football because his mom doesn't like taunting in the NFL.
0: No. You know, look, I'm actually one of the rare people. I mean, I'm 33. Everybody in my generation seems to love it all. I don't care. Like, if you don't want to have taunting, fine. But, like, what Cassius Marsh did as an example, that's not taunting. He's 30 yards from the sideline. If he had gone to the sideline like ripped his helmet off started screaming at Mike Tomlin, fine, throw a flag on him. He was 30 yards to the sideline. Who cares? I mean, at some point, these are grown men playing an incredibly barbaric game. Some guy makes a great play and wants to get up and celebrate. Fine. And by the way, most people aren't cool with that. They want to see emotion. They want to see passion, all the rest of it. I don't understand what the NFL wants to take away. I've always leaned. I have no evidence of this, but I always think some of it is a You know, if a sponsor complains about something, and a lot of sponsors, let's face it, are run by people who are 80 years old in an office, and they're and So, you know, all of a sudden, the NFL goes, well, you know, geez, uh, you know, I don't know, for example, you know, Pepsi doesn't like the, 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 uh, the way these guys celebrate on the field. Maybe we should ran in. I don't know what, the, what other reason there would be. I don't know why otherwise NFL would care. I can't imagine that the players have any issue with it. I, I, I don't think, even though the coaches are saying the quote-unquote right thing, I don't think they really care either. But again, I go back to the gambling aspect of all this. Look, if you're going to take in all this money from these books and from these companies, then you need to do everything you can A, to ensure the integrity of your own game. And again, to be clear, I don't think that game was like you know fixed or anything, but... You know, you always you as a, as a sports league, your integrity is everything. You have to make sure that you are doing everything you can to uphold your integrity. And for the billions of dollars that get bet on all of your games, you have to be doing everything you can to make sure you're getting the calls correct. If that takes an extra three minutes, so be it. I guarantee you, Johnny's not turning off the television because the game went to three oh five. But that's not going to happen. So, I really do believe the NFL. They have all the technology and money in the world. You need to figure this stuff out. We should not be seeing games like that Bears Steelers game. That should never happen in the NFL. Yeah.
2: I know this has been tossed around, and there was that the NFL um, officiating s- strike, or there was the labor dispute. I don't know what that was, four or five years ago, and we saw how big of a mess. And I, I remember talk of making them full time employees and I don't still don't think they are but I know that's been tossed around again but you know it's the officiating is uh and I will say this too about the taunting you mentioned like 15 yard first down like why is it such a severe penalty like why can't they have and I I think this even for some other rules too like a 15 10 5 mark like how egregious was the penalty whatever it may be and and I know it's it's tough because there's a million different scenarios that could play out but like you know it could be, hey, it's just a five-yard penalty and the Steelers still have to punt because of the Cassius Marsh, rather than, like, I don't know, a player throwing a football at another player's face. That maybe is a 15-yarder. I think you could have, like, levels of taunting penalty. You know, maybe that's something they could also consider. I don't know. It just seems insane to me that it's, like, a 15-yarder automatic first.
0: Yeah, well, it, it actually, when you think about it, like, I don't looked at it in that, that light, but it's a good point because if you think, okay, What's worse, like Cassius Mark being happy about a sack, or somebody like taking off – like, remember the, the, the Mason Rudolph-Miles-Garrett melee? Right. That's that a- turned into a full-on brawl, <laughs> and guys got 15-yard – now, of course, a couple guys got thrown out of the game. But there were probably, what, 10 guys, 15 guys involved in that fight? Most of those guys got 15-yard penalties. Like, I mean, at some point – look, I understand the NFL. They have a product that they want to sell – They probably feel like the more taunting there is, you know, the harder it is. This is a joke, by the way. They could could sell that but no matter how much taunting there is. I understand that point of view. My problem with it is it's so ridiculously enforced. And by the way, again, I am never somebody – I don't believe in talking about officials, blaming officials. A lot of time, that's a loser's ballot. But I also think – You know, we saw a game last weekend, Tennessee-New Orleans. I don't know if you happened to to see that, roughing the passer calling Tannehill. That's one of the worst calls I've ever seen. I mean, Tannehill was like barely touched 15 yards. I mean, it took away a Saints interception. That completely changed the game. If the Saints missed the playoffs by a game, that call cost them the playoffs. And, you know, fans don't think about a lot of times, you know what that means for some of these guys, how, how they have bonuses tied in. Hey, if you make the playoffs, you get an extra 500 grand this year. What it means for coaches. I mean, that is the difference between keeping your job and getting fired. The NFL cannot miss these calls. And I get wanting to protect the quarterback because if you watch a game with backup quarterbacks, you understand how bad it is. But you cannot go so far overboard the other direction where some guy gets like a fingertip on the side of a helmet 15 yards. It's an automatic first down. Everything that happened got erased. You can't. You just cannot go that route. They've got to figure out a better way. To officiate these games because, quite honestly, it's the worst I can remember the officiating being in a long time.
2: Yeah, and I think I think one of the reasons too is because of like the overthinking of all of it and just not using common sense. They try to put rules in place to, you know, limit e- egregious penalty. I just think they've overcomplicated the officiating system, if you will. Um, where it just, a lot of times to me, it can just simply come down to common sense. By the way, there was one where Ben Roethlisberger basically just got hip-checked and kind of bumped in that game, Bears-Steelers, and he got a flag for that, too. And I will say, this is my last, uh, last little rant here. I'll go on to you, Matt. Like, the idea that a veteran court, and you can apply this to, like, basketball, right? Like, Michael Jordan used to get calls that other guys don't. That's stupid to me. That doesn't make sense. Just call it what it is. There's no reason Ben Roethlisberger should get more flags than Justin Fields because Roethlisberger's banged up and he's and he's an older quarterback, and the guy's got ice packs all over his body. How does that make any sense where a guy like Roth and Fields said this? He's like, Yeah, that's the common thought. You know, he's like, Typically, the veteran guys get more calls. That doesn't make sense. It makes no sense to me. It doesn't matter what the sport is, whether it's a pitcher who gets a call on the corner compared to a. It, that, uh, none of that makes any sense to me why you would give favorite favoritism to a veteran guy, call the penalty how it's supposed to be called.
0: Yeah. No, I, listen, uh, two quick points on that. First of all, I, I, I completely agree. Um, and you know, by the by the way, in that game, uh, Roethlisberger that one ball that he tried to throw down the field and went like forty yards, and then she had to come back. That was that was the most unimpressive forty yard throw in the history of the NFL. <laughs> that looked like he threw a medicine ball forty. I mean, it was it's time for him to retire. Yeah. But you know, I just I started watching football in the '90s as a kid, and maybe a you know, part of that was being a kid, and, and you don't quite have the, the recollection correct. I don't know, but The one thing that does amaze me, when I was a kid, there wasn't all this, like, okay, on on the catch hole, for example. There wasn't this, like, he's got to take three steps, accept the ball into his heart, and then he's got, like, it was just, did he catch it? (laughs) And you had enough common sense to just go, yeah, he caught it. Or no, you know, he didn't. He didn't have possession of the ball. Like, and that was it. There wasn't this, like, nine step process to figure out what a catch was and what it's not. I mean, I, and that speaks to your point. I agree. Like, it's gotten to the juncture where it's so over-officiated. They worry about every little thing. Look, anyone with eyes can figure out, okay, yep, he's got possession. He's got both feet on the ground. That's it. He caught it. Like, just use what you would use on a playground. Mm-hmm. I don't understand how they – you watch a game and some guy catches the ball, turns, takes a step in three quarters, gets rocked, fumbles the ball, it's incomplete. No, it's not. He caught it and turned up field. He fumbled it. I, it, it drives me. It drives me.
3: Insane. It does.
2: Um, well, we covered a lot there, man. I appreciate you jumping on. Can I get, uh, before you go, a Bears-Ravens prediction? I, I'm predicting a Bears victory. Maybe I've got my Bears optimism goggles on, but I, I think Justin <laughs> Fields, his progress over the past couple games, I got Bears 27, uh, Ravens 24, but who you got in that matchup?
0: It's actually funny. It's exact, I have the same score, but just the other way. I think um, I think the Bears will cover. I think this is going to be a good game. My my question in this game for Chicago, I just don't know the answer to, and that's so why I pick Baltimore. Is can they do a good enough job hemming Lamar in and keeping him in the pocket? If they can do that, I actually think they will win the game. I agree. I, I think they'll win. But this is a game. the you know, Baltimore. It's weird to say it because they're six and three. They're kind of desperate. They're coming off a loss to Miami. And if you look at the Ravens' schedule, the last seven games of the year, there's not a tougher schedule in football. The Bengals on the road they already lost at home, too. The Steelers twice, the Browns twice, the Rams and the Packers. Like, you better win this game if you're Baltimore. So I think it's really close. Um, can the Bears have Lamar in? If they can, I think they win. If they can't, I think it's close. But I, I think the Ravens would
3: find a way.
2: Yeah. Now, yeah, I will say this too. The Bears under Matt, I've been referring to it as the Nagy Way, which is the Bears shooting themselves in, in their own foot, which is constantly like dumb penalties and offsides. And they come out of a timeout last two weeks ago against Pittsburgh, and there's an illegal formation. There's been so yeah. much of that yeah. under Matt Nagy. So. You know, we'll see, but um, it's Justin Fields makes the Bears watchable. Imagine if they didn't have him. that would uh, It would be a rough Bears watch. But, uh, Matt, I've, I've kept you for about 30 minutes here. A lot of great stuff we covered. I appreciate you jumping on the podcast.
0: Hey, no problem. Anytime.
2: All right. Thank you to Matt for joining me. Now my conversation with Michael O'Brien from the Chicago Sun-Times. Michael, the season's flying by, at least for me. I know you're very busy covering uh, football and now high school basketball, but uh, here we are, down to the semifinals now.
3: Yeah, football always goes real quick. (laughs) That's one thing. Uh, The basketball season is a long marathon, but yeah, football is really fast. And that's for the teams who are still playing. A lot of them were done weeks ago.
2: Right, 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 right. So, well, we are down to just uh, four teams remaining in each class. Let's start with 8A. And by the way, I think every single game this weekend is Saturday. I think there's one Friday night game in 4A. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think just about every game is, is a Saturday afternoon or night game, right?
3: Yeah, everything's Saturday except tonight down in um the Springfield area. It's a uh, Sacred Heart Griffin against Rochester, which is actually interesting because it's a father coaching against his son. Is that right? Yes. <laughs> uh it's like a legendary um uh Springfield Sacred Heart Griffin's coach, Ken Griffin, he's a legend. Um mm-hmm. And his son coaches Rochester, and they, they meet up pretty regularly in the playoffs, and I guess they both hate it, but it keeps happening.
2: <laughs> well, as a line, that's a storyline. That's Well, you look at both. I guess let's just start with this matchup then, since you brought it up. Rochester scored 48-55-57. Uh, Sacred Heart Griffin scored 49-42-55. I would bet the over in this one, Michael.
3: Yep, the, uh, this family enjoys offense. <laughs> Derek Leonard is the Rochester coach. We saw him actually. I've actually seen that team because they came up here and played Loyola, if you remember, um, in the uh, a couple weeks ago. But anyway, uh, I have no idea who's going to win this. It's like whoever's going to score the most. <laughs> it's a, a family affair, and either one is going to be a huge underdog, most likely against Joey Catholic in the state title game. But it should be a fun one.
2: Yeah. So. It- Julia Catholic, uh, you're not sensing an upset in that one by Richmond. I mean, they they're one of the best. Obviously, Julia Catholic always one of the better teams in the state. But you're obviously that's your pick there, obviously.
3: Yeah, I think Julia Catholic could win 8A. Wow, <laughs> so, really? Yeah, they're, I mean, we saw them um, beat Brother Rice at hmm. Brother Rice this season. So yeah, Joey Catholic is really really good. It's you know not to get too off topic, but I know somebody was talking on one of the Madamagie Tim's message board about it would be nice if we could arrange the football playoffs by like how good the teams were and not by enrollment (laughs) because it'd be pretty fascinating if we could have you know Joey Catholic Brother Rice. Main South and Loyola all playing for the same title instead of the way we have it but anyway
2: yeah and I always thought it would be cool I know it's, it's it's high school football so you probably don't want to keep them going any longer but I always thought it would have been you know cool maybe through I don't know 6 you know 5A through 8A to have you know the state champions of those classes play each other and then maybe even the bottom four I don't it's just something I've always thought about that could be cool and you know, probably never going to happen, but something to think about. Who knows? Maybe they'll make changes down the road. But
3: who you, knows? Yeah.
2: Who knows? All right, let's let's go back to eight a. It is Loyola versus Lockport playing at Loyola Saturday at one o'clock. Who you like there, Michael?
3: <laughs> well, I'm going to do. You know, whenever Loyola shows a chink in the armor, I like to just kind of grab in and rip it open and hope <laughs> that maybe they won't win every game. And they definitely showed a chink in the armor last week. I was pretty shocked they only beat Lincoln Way East three to nothing. Um, obviously Rob Zvonar and Lincoln way East, you know, they know how to play defense, you know, they know how to coach defense, but they just don't have the athletes and the experience they usually do. So the fact that they were able to hold Doyle down to just three points has to be a a warning sign for them. That, that was pretty interesting. Now, the question is Lockport has a really good defense. They did give up 22 to Glenbart North last week. Um, and they have a quarterback going through an interception all year. So you like to think maybe there's a chance there. I just I think Loyola is just better than Lockport, but I thought they were more than three points better than Lincoln Way East. So maybe it'll be closer. This one will be at Loyola. So, I mean, so was the Lincoln Way East game last week. So I don't know. It's hard to see Loyola losing, but there was cause for concern last week.
2: And then in the other 8A match, I think this could be a really good. Good game, Michael. About between Maris and Maine South, they'll be playing that one at Maris one o'clock Saturday.
3: Yeah, this is the best game I think of the weekend. Um, Maris, you know, they didn't look real good in the in the conference. They lost to everybody. Those are their three losses. Now, obviously, those are really good teams, not Carmel Loyola, and Brother Rice, but they just it wasn't that they lost. You know, I was at two of those games. It was that they just weren't in the game late. You know, it just. They didn't seem close to those other Catholic League Blue teams. Now, they've turned it around, and they've looked pretty good in the playoffs. Um, They're scoring, you know, Dontrell Jackson, Jr. got a really talented quarterback going to Coastal Carolina. Meanwhile, Maine South has just kind of come back in two or three consecutive games and just scraped out wins against teams, but they have been winning consistently all year. I mean, this is a toss-up, I think. I think Maine South... Might be the better team, but Marist is at home. They're on a roll. I can. I can this one could go either way.
2: Yeah, I'm really excited to see how that one plays out. Maine South, by the way, won by one point over Niqua Valley last week, uh, and then they edged out Plainfield North a couple rounds ago, just 21 to 18. They they rolled over New Tree in the first round, but yeah, to your point, they've they've played some nail-biters. We'll see how that one plays out. Uh, over to 7A, it's Brother Ice against Wheaton North Saturday at Wheaton North four o'clock. What do you see in there, Michael?
3: Saw Wheaton North again last week against Willowbrook in some horrific conditions on Friday night, um, which nobody looked nobody no, no high school football teams look good in weather like that. You know, you just can't, especially when Wheaton North throws the ball well. You know, they just weren't able to really do that. But they gutted out a win against a tough Willowbrook team. They just, I just don't think they have the horses to hang with Brother Rice. I mean, maybe they can make it close, but I, I don't know. I think Brother Rice is a good Two touchdown favorite in that one.
2: A Brother Rice-St. Rita state championship matchup would be pretty great. But St. Rita meets Prospect. This one's at St. Rita Saturday night. Prospect, you know, you and I talked about the mid-suburban league. I'm always a little biased towards the MSL as a a Hersey Husky. But, you know, they won pretty convincingly over over Jacobs last week, 35-21. St. Rita... Has their stud. What's the situation with Caleb Brown? He's the Ohio State recruit you've been talking about through the playoffs who's missed most of the year with an injury. Is he full go now? What can we expect there?
3: Full go, I don't know, but he played plenty in the last game, and he played a little bit in the game before. So he's going to be out there. Um, This is looking like the preseason number one team I thought they were right now, St. Rita. Now they have Caleb Brown back. They've been playing very well. Prospect, man, give them a ton of credit. They're on like their third or fourth string quarterback. Somebody who hadn't played there all years, winning playoff games—that's amazing in a 7A level in high school football. So it's been a really impressive run for Prospect, but it's going to be really tough for them at St. Rita. I am going to will be, be at that one. I'm going to check it out. I'm going to hopefully get a look at Caleb Brown this time, which I've been looking forward to. And yeah, it, every—it looks pretty likely we're going to get that St. Rita brother Rice title game in 7A, which would be pretty
2: neat. Yeah, as Mike Clark. Pointed out in his uh sometimes games of the game of the week notes, uh, prospects defense six t- takeaways over the uh the past couple of weeks. So we know how football goes. If you can create those takeaways, anybody can win. So we'll see about that one. But uh, your brother Rice St. Rita seems like a, a likely matchup. Uh, over to 6A, who you like? We got Kerry Grove, who I know you're big on, they're taking on Lake Forest, and then it is East St. Louis. I know you're big on them as well, they're 10 and two, but. Two of those losses uh, were against national opponents, and then they're facing Crete Moni. Uh, what do you like at 6A, Michael?
3: Yeah, kind of like, you know, this 6A is pretty much gone like what everybody figured. Kerry Grove is a heavy favorite at home against Lake Forest. Although Lake Forest is, you know, I thought they were a threat heading into the playoffs. They were clearly playing well getting all the way to the semis you know tip your calf to them that that's a really nice season they've had it just seems like it might be kind of a bridge too far especially at Cary grove you know that's on grass they have you know a very interesting style with the triple option and they're they're, they're a tough out Cary grove and they're very experienced at winning in the playoffs um east st louis at Crete money oh boy buckle up that's going to be a very high scoring affair i mean it, it should be interesting because crepe money has some athletes you know that can at least hang with East St. Louis. So that'll be interesting. They kind of like to play the same way. They're both wide open. So that's going to be interesting. But, yeah, most people, I've not seen East St. Louis in person yet, but most people think they're the best team overall. And Cremoni, you know, is a 6A team. You know, they've got kids playing both ways, and that's tough against a team with the size of East St. Louis.
2: All right, and then on to uh, 5A. What do we need to know about these matchups?
3: I'm going to be at uh Sycamore Fenwick, the five-a-game. I've been dying to see Fenwick all year. Caden Cobb, he's a quarterback headed to Ball State. You know, he's right there, you know, maybe a notch right now under Jack Lausch for player of the year, but his numbers are incredible. Fenwick's got a bunch of other guys that are going to play college football. I'm excited to see them against Sycamore. They play out at Triton College. Fenwick is the favorite there. You know, they've been the favorite in 5A all along. It just seems weird to say that. since they've, They're not like these other teams, you know, that have won multiple state titles. They've never even played for one. But this could be the year. Everything seems uh, on board for Fenwick. They're the big favorite in that game. And uh, Keys against this Morton, Illinois, they're playing. It's uh, Morton down by Peoria, not the one over in uh, Berwyn. But Keys the favorite in that one. It's starting to look like maybe I underestimated them all year. <laughs> I saw them. Last season, or, you know, in February, in that short season, and a rainy Saturday, and they, they didn't look real great. But it looks like they have an awful lot of athletes that don't really excel in a rainy grass field <laughs> that I saw because they've really played well here in the playoffs, and they're the favorite in that one.
2: All right, we touched on 4A. Anything you want to add about the the lower three classes, Michael? Anything you can add? Um
3: 3A, we've got IC Prep, um, you know, over in Elmhurst State. I mean, they just, they're just they always here. You know That program is so consistent. It's really well coached. They had a lot of high-level players the last few years. Kyle Franklin is a kid that, you know, if things have got different, might have been a player of the year one of these last couple of years. He's gone now, but they've just kept winning. Um, they're going to host Byron, so I'm guessing their favorite. I can't say no a ton about Byron. And then it's worth pointing out in 2A, we do have a local team. Wilmington is hosting Tri-Valley in that one. So it would be kind of fun if we could get a local representative in Class 2A into the state
2: title game. Hey, and by the way, how was that uh, Brother Rice Mount Carmel atmosphere? We talked a lot about that on the last episode. Brother Rice obviously won by forty-one uh, twenty-eight in that matchup, but uh, that was a very much hyped game. What, what was it like there?
3: Yeah, it was uh, it was fun. You know, it was cold. <laughs> so that's part of part of the problem, but you know, a lot of assistant coaches on the field screaming about things. <laughs> That's <was> the uh, <laughs> a big takeaway from that. I mean, it's got, it's got a little ridiculous at some point, you know, from from both sides. But it's, you know, it's a little tough in a football game when it's, to me, the weather is so bad and the wind's blowing. You can't really hear a lot of people. You know, there were a lot of young kids all around kind of watching around, the, kind of ringing around the stadium, not in the stands. So that helps add to the atmosphere. But the stands are so far away there. But that's not super great for, like, it's not like at Mount Carmel, you know, where everybody's on top of you and there's a great atmosphere. At Brother Rice, it does feel like you're a little displaced from the crowd, except for the young kids. That was neat to see them all enjoying the game. That was a lot of fun.
2: Yeah, I saw some stuff mm-hmm. you posted and some other stuff uh, pop up on Twitter as well. looked like a looked like a good atmosphere for the most part. But any other news or nuggets uh, you want to add in or sprinkle in here as we uh, got our second to last weekend of high school football, Michael? Anything I missed?
3: Nope, I think we're uh, that about covers it. It should be, you know, these are all these all should be pretty good games. You, you don't see many blowouts coming, so that's one of the benefits of not having any real big upsets. You know, sometimes upsets are fun, but then a couple weeks later, it's like, oh, this game, these games are lame, <laughs> whereas that hasn't happened. All of the kind of favorites have gone through, so we, we should have a lot of good games the next two weeks.
2: Awesome. That's Michael O'Brien from the Chicago Sun-Times. Follow him on Twitter, Michael S. O'Brien, and uh, we will talk to you next week as uh, – I'll probably talk to you before Thanksgiving as uh, we get ready for the state championships in DeKalb this year. Friday and Saturday will be the state title games. And if you're into high school hoops as well, Michael uh, does a great job covering that as well. I know it's a busy time of year for you, Michael, so I appreciate you making time for the podcast.
3: You know, it's a lot better than the alternative. That's right. last year, so I'm okay with it. That's (laughs) right. Good to be
2: busy. Thanks, Michael.
3: Yeah, see
2: ya. Thank you to Michael once again. And if you're into food talk... Uh, tailgating, barbecue, all that good stuff. This uh, segment's for you. Dr. Barbecue, Ray Lampy from Chicago, barbecue expert. Uh, Join me. We just had some fun, talk some Thanksgiving, a little bit of tailgating, and then some bears towards the end as well. Now joining me on the podcast, Dr. Barbecue himself, Ray Lampy. Uh, appreciate you jumping on, Ray. I figured Thanksgiving around the corner, tailgating in full swing. You're a Bears fan. We'll get into that. But uh, I really appreciate you jumping on the podcast, Ray.
1: Uh, all my favorite subjects, and it's always happy to talk to people in Chicago, so I'm in any time.
2: All right, well, you are from Chicago. Um, we'll get into your Bears fandom in just a minute, but to talk about where did you grow up in Chicago, by the way?
1: Yeah, I was born in the city, and my parents, when I was four, moved to Berwyn. So I spent most of my life in Berwyn, and then I moved around out in that whole area. I lived in Oak Park and Lyons and migrated a little southwest, ended up in Willowbrook when I finally left about 20 years ago.
2: And how did you get into barbecue?
1: At the Mike Royko Rib Fest. Is that right? Uh, So this is legendary (laughs) for Chicago people. I was... uh, I learned how to, in high school, I signed up, it was the early 70s, I signed up for a cooking class, just thinking it would be a fun goof off class and we'd get to eat. And it was, but it was, you gotta remember, it was a different time. This class was to teach women how to cook for their families. It was, you know, it was a different kind of time. They were, this was post World War II, really. It wasn't uh, like culinary education like no. now. But from day one, I enjoyed the cooking. I always cooked everything. I learned how to make blueberry muffins and a, a crab quiche and a couple of different things that I cooked forever. And, and so then I was in my early 20s, with, you know, living with a few of my friends, I was the only guy that ever knew how to cook. But I didn't know how to cook barbecue. And a friend of mine signed us up for the Mike Royko Rib Fest. You, it was a big deal. Mike made this big thing out of it in his column every day. And, you know, and, and so we signed up. And I was the only one who knew how to cook, but I really didn't know how to cook barbecue. So I literally borrowed a Weber kettle and learned how to make some ribs and a sauce I, and I went out there and did it and we didn't win anything but I had found my people because I was a young I was a 25 year old 25 year old guy that liked to cook but now I had, I was cooking out in the park with a bunch of other people with with big grills and fire and big boxes of meat and and a cooler of beer and it literally changed my life. I like I said I had found my people and we're coming up on it was just about 39 years in September since that happened and it's just been my life's obsession and my life's work at some point. So here's uh, like some trivia for you though the other guy that started his barbecue career that day is well, the brothers Dave and Larry Raymond who created Sweet Baby Ray's barbecue sauce based on a top 5 finish in that contest wow. and ran you know Sweet Baby Ray's we all know what that is now so he's a friend of mine Dave the one brother and we always talk about that that's the day we both started our barbecue
2: careers that's incredible i did not know that at all what a career it's been for you um Yeah, it's amazing what the barbecue community is. I know you know I have friends who they they buy a kettle kettle smoker and they get really into it. Like it's the whole barbecue (laughs) world. It's like, what do you think it is? I mean, other than obviously eating delicious food, there's something about barbecue. I don't know if it's you know the camaraderie, people standing around a grill, watching meat smoke, and having a couple beers. But it does seem like you know when people get into barbecue, they're all in on it.
1: Yeah, it's it's absolutely all of those things. You know, you got so let's just think about barbecue in general though. So what I just told you the story about sweet baby rays, that's barbecue sauce. That's great, but that's not the same as cooking a piece of meat. It's not the same as owning or building grills. Uh, It's not the same as going around tourist barbecue. They go around to these 100-year-old restaurants around the country, and I do it all the time. Uh, It's this culture. It's just there's so much more to it than just the actual. And then there is, of course, the food on the plate that we all enjoy, but it's just every one of it, every angle of it has these different stories. I tell people, so you walk in a restaurant, you see the chef, you're like, Okay, cool. That guy's the chef. He's you know he knows how to cook really good, and he's a guy. You walk in a barbecue restaurant, you're like, oh, that dude's got some magical skills. To... He's like a wizard. We don't even know what that guy knows. It, you know, it's just so different than any other culinary thing. And, and and the other thing that we, you know, this has been such a big part of my life that we talk about that it's the only true American cuisine. Everything else that we eat spins off from somewhere else in the world, except barbecue.
2: All right, let's get into the Thanksgiving cooking here. Um, the turkey. Everybody wants to know how everybody's technique is to cook the turkey. When Dr. Barbecue is cooking up a Thanksgiving turkey, what's your technique there, Ray? Right.
1: Uh, and I'll give it to you. So what I do is, and this is, this is because of my grandma. Now, I am a spokesman for the National Turkey Federation, but we like all turkey developers. But my grandma always bought a Butterball. That was what she bought. There was no messing around. That's what we're getting. So to this day, I still do. And and Butterball and a lot of the main the big brand turkeys, they're essentially brined already. They, they enhance them with a solution that keeps them from drying out. So you don't really have to brine it. So defrost it for about four days, five days if you got a giant one in the refrigerator. You gotta do that right. And then when you get it ready to go that day, I what I do is get it all ready, get it on the counter, and then I put a big bag of ice cubes, a, a ziploc bag, like a gallon zip bag, on top of the breast and walk away from it for an hour. And that way the breast meat will get really cold and the thigh meat and the legs and all that where, the, where you have a hard time getting it done, will all warm up a little bit. And it, it's amazing how much that helps. So that's one hour. And just put some seasoning on it, put an onion in it, maybe some herbs. And how do we cook it now? So before we talked about the Weber kettle, great choice for cooking a turkey. But you put the coals all the way on the sides. Now, a lot of guys have got pellet cookers now, and I was a big green egg guy for years. There's a lot of different ways, but we want to cook indirect no matter what your setup is, but not real low. You know, we talk about smoking. To me, smoking is something we do at 200, 225 degrees. That doesn't work that well for turkeys. For one, they get too smoky, but also the meat will get a little bit mushy. So if you cook them hotter, just like you would in the oven, I'll run my grill at 325, just like I would in the oven, indirect, and should take two, three hours. You know, use a thermometer. That's the way to get a turkey to not be... Dried out is don't overcook it. Get your thermometer; it should be one sixty-five all over the place, and and that's the basic rules. And and you know, it's Thanksgiving. There's no reason to be messing around with something different. You want to talk about cooking one in March? Call me, and we'll talk about different ways to cook them. But Thanksgiving, heck, we're cooking it just like Grandma did.
2: And what's the side dish Ray Lampy is typically cooking up? <laughs> uh, well, I'm going to go for
1: it. I made these really. Uh, Good. Well, this is leftovers, but I say it's really good. You take the leftover stuffing and turkey, make it into a ball and wrap it in bacon Ooh. and cook it till the bacon all renders off. That's pretty good. But at the house, we're going to have some grilled green beans. Put them in a the pan and grill them up. But we're going to have typical mashed potatoes and stuffing and carrots. I like to cook my carrots in root beer. Ooh. You just get them on the stove and brown them a little bit and add a little bit of root beer to them. It's just a fun flavor, but but in general, it's all pretty traditional. I don't get too far from the center on Thanksgiving.
2: I hate to put you on the spot here, but and and maybe you can name a couple. I know you're down in, in Florida now, but do you have a barbecue spot you love in Chicago or a couple that you, that you like to go to or, or some that we should check out? Yeah, for
1: sure, yeah. Uh, Smoke, S-M-O-Q-U-E. If you haven't been there, go see Barry. it has been there for a while. Barry was like with the one of the new generation of barbecue guys in Chicago, and he's still doing a great job. They're over on, like, Irving and Pulaski, Pulaski near Irving. Um, the other one I like is Green Street Smoked Meats down kind of off of Randolph Street. There, was actually on Green Street and uh, those guys, are it's a cool place if you've never been there. It's a big warehouse and we actually, when we were getting ready to open my restaurant, we went to a lot of places and Green Street had the smoker we wanted and they have it right smack in the middle of the restaurant. It's a big, giant thing from Texas and we were so impressed by that that that's exactly what we did. We bought one just like it and we have it right in the middle of our restaurant. Uh, That's a great place. And then, you know, don't ever not go to Lem's out on the south side. Lem's is the old school, old G Chicago rib tip joint and man it just doesn't get any better so I, there's more but I could live with those three
2: I'm I'm so happy you mentioned Green Street smoked meats that's my go to spot Ray so I feel like uh, you you kind of confirm that my my barbecue taste is legit because that's my that's my number one spot it's a very cool atmosphere yeah. at Green Street uh, smoked meats as well it really
1: is but with that smoker they have too you can't really do it any other way than authentic with that thing. It's a legit big time they could cook a thousand pounds of meat go if you're, if you're, go there just to look at the smoker and if they got it right out in the middle of the restaurant they'll talk to you about it while they're cooking on it and stuff but that's that thing runs on only wood it doesn't have any gas assist so if you don't put logs in it but the, it won't run and the way it but the way it does it is it doesn't doesn't over-smoke the food there's a lot of draft a lot of air moving around it, it's pretty hard to screw up if you've got that smoker and now you've got to cook it to the right degree of done this but but those guys have got you know it's like magic when you have that thing and i think i never had that conversation with them i've talked to them a lot over the years but i would suspect they feel the same way about it so it, you start out with a big expensive piece of equipment and it helps you it's your friend but then you gotta have the, you gotta care about it too you know those guys are on that line there in the corner and they care they're happy to talk to you about it they're proud of what they're doing uh yeah that's a that's a legit place
2: uh all right um... We'll get into Bears in just a sec, but do you got any tailgating tips? Like we're kind of in full-swing tailgating mode here with football season rolling on, but do you have a couple of go-tos that uh, you like to cook up on game day?
1: Yeah, you know, when I, I, I tailgated at Soldier Field for like 20 years, pretty much all of Walter's career and a little bit before and after we were out there and tailgating at Soldier Field and, of course, in the run-up to the Super Bowl, which was, was epic. But my favorite thing to do was always ribs because ribs, as a barbecue guy, are just something people care so much about. So what I would do is I I generally don't cook baby back ribs, but I did for tailgating because it just works a little better. And I would cook them ahead of time and cook them pretty much done and cool them and then cut them into, like, two or three bone pieces, and then put some sauce on them. And, and I would even do it in, like, a cardboard box with layers of aluminum foil in between and have it cool down. But then in the morning, I would just take it out to the game and fire up the grill. And all I had to do was basically warm these pieces up on the grill, and they were ready to go. And then I could throw the cardboard box away, and I was it was good. So I, I think, uh, you know... The main goal is take it serious. If you agreed to cook the dinner for for all your friends for this tailgate party, don't be messing around. Don't show up hungover and and just burn some bratwurst. Do something special. And and for me, ribs was always the go to, and, and still is.
2: I love it. Imagine going to a Ray Lampe tailgate party. That would be something special. I would you I would pay you to go to that. Right.
1: One time they were they were working on the parking lot or something at Soldier Field. I mean, this was probably in the middle of the '80s, and I was a young guy learning how to cook, and I was practicing making homemade sausage. So I made this sausage, and I brought it to the game, and cooked it, and we ate it. And I had put so much fresh garlic in the sausage; it was just brutal. And we were we always we knew all the people sitting around us. We were burping up this garlic sausage the whole Game our friends in front of us are like, What did you guys eat? So they're not always that good,
2: but it's always an adventure. It's always fun, too. All right, let's talk Bears. Are you uh, as hyped about Justin Fields as the rest of us? Because I'm all in on QB1 right now. What do you think so far?
1: well, you're a young man, Kevin. As an old, old <laughs> boomer bear fan, I'm still suspicious. Mm-hmm. I've, I've had this promise made to me many times in my life. Uh, Bobby Douglas was going to be the next guy, and so was Cade McNown and Rex Grossman and Jay Cutler, and you know. So I'm just a little suspicious, but boy, he sure looks good. So I'm, uh, I'm feeling pretty positive about it. And I, seriously. It's, it looks like modern football that I've never seen as a Bears fan, you know, and and that's the kind of quarterback you need these days. So I'm trying to be optimistic. I've just been burned too many times before.
2: Yeah, no, I hear you. I mean, I've been I've been uh, you know cautiously optimistic, and I, I feel like Mitch Trubisky took a lot of you had to talk yourself into that one, right? Like ah, like ah, Mitch needs some he's time.
1: I forgot to even name him, <laughs>
2: right? You know, and now I just I don't know some of the throws Fields has made, and 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 some of the runs he's he's had he's pulled off it's I, I feel really good about justin fields um what are your thoughts on bears ravens for sunday and uh the rest of the season we're about the halfway point but uh you you are you optimistic they could finish on a high note this season
1: well I, i'm trying to be and, and you know the one thing i do like is the offensive line is is coming together and they've actually held up pretty good all things considered and of course fields and uh and mooney and Allen robinson i mean you know, the the there's a lot of good pieces there. Cole Komet coming to life, so you know we could actually have an offense, which is unusual because uh, you know I talked about the Walter Payton days. Even then, let's you know let's be honest, we didn't have much of an offense. We always relied on our defense. So yeah, I am a little bit optimistic. You know, unfortunately, they got themselves in such a hole. It's going to be tough. But but heck, yes. I you know I I will be down here watching the game. I promise.
2: Ray Lampe's favorite bear of all time. Who is it? Oh, gosh. It's it's hard to not
1: say Walter Payton, um, but I don't know. I might go Butkus.
2: Yeah, I love it. I, I still watch highlights of Dick Buckus. It's awesome. Um
1: really <laughs> so Talk about a, a badass, man. He was the man.
2: <laughs> yeah, I know. Well before my time, but my dad always loved him, so I'll go back and watch some Dick Buckus YouTube highlights and stuff. It's a uh, wild, wild football player. But- um, all right, that's Ray Lampy, Dr. Barbecue. Follow him on Twitter at drbarbecue, drbarbecue.com uh, as well. I appreciate you jumping on, Ray. Thank you very much.
1: Uh, lots of fun, Kevin. Anytime, man. Thanks,
3: truck for calling.
2: And that's episode 19 of the WGN Radio Football Podcast. Thank you to Matt Vertoram. Thank you to Michael O'Brien. Thank you to Doctor Barbecue Ray Lampy, and thank you to Ernie Sket and Brian Altzheimer for their help producing the podcast episode 19 in the books. Thank you for listening. Be uh, looking out for a post game pod a Sunday afternoon. Hopefully, it's a Bears victory over the Ravens. Thanks for listening. Have a great day.